You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are going to be able to discuss everything Arizona Cardinals. We call it your complete cards coverage. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. And joining me as always on the ROTB pod is my co-host, the Venerable John Venerable. And uh, John, we get to, for the first time in three weeks, talk about a Cardinals victory as they uh, trounce the Giants 26-7, effectively sweeping the New York States this year. And uh, John, it feels like that, like we talked about, it was essentially as close to a must-win as it could be for the Cardinals. Uh, they go and pull away for the most part, but it really wasn't that clear of an outcome up until the uh, team made a chance to pull away in the second half with a solid performance from Hassan. Son Reddick that we'll get into. Uh, before we talk about that and uh, take a look at some of the rest of the uh, Cardinals and why their performance has been so good, how are you doing and what are some of your takeaways from the Cardinals win against the Giants? Yeah, hallelujah. We're finally back in the win column. It has been some time since that Hail Murray. This was Blake one of the more legitimized wins of the year. And when I say legitimized, I mean you know, really felt like they were in control throughout all four quarters. And I haven't really felt that way probably since the Cowboy game on Monday night. And that was goodness about six weeks ago. Um, you just felt like even after the Cardinals <clears throat> squandered that first red zone opportunity where they couldn't get in from fourth and short uh, in route to no points, which, which should have been a touchdown, you still kind of felt like they could control this game. And, and how they did it was just tone setting defensively their front seven played probably their best game of the year and it allowed let the offense that's still you know I don't even want to call them a work in progress at this point it disjointed offensively find their footing eventually in route to scoring 26 points which which ended up being more than enough but I don't know how you can talk about this game and not highlight the job that Vance Joseph did defensively I wrote an article on revengeofthebirds.com earlier this week about just how he's elevated his game to keep this team competitive. And I know they haven't been winning much lately, but the defensive efforts have been better than you think, and it all kind of capitalized with just a ferocious front seven performance led by the aforementioned Hassan Reddick with five sacks um, to go along with Dennis Gardeck, who had two sacks. And then they said it uh, as much in the postgame presser, Blake, that Marcus Golden sack in the opening possession where he just knocked the snot out of Daniel Jones, picked up the ball, began to run with it. I just thought that that was encapsulated the kind of effort that they got the entire four quarters of the game. Marcus Gordon, of course, uh, going back to the team that that traded him away during the season. Uh, I think that was very poetic. And I'll give you credit, Blake. On the podcast a week ago, we had talked about, will Daniel Jones play? Maybe we'll get Colt McCoy. And you said, well, we want Daniel Jones to play because he is so turnover prone. And we saw that in this game. He had that fumble in the opening possession. He almost fumbled it away a couple more times. But he also just takes these egregious sacks that we saw last year when the Cardinals beat the Giants in New York. And the continuation of that, listen, we knew that the Giants were not great offensively. And they had been winning the majority of their games led by their defense. They hadn't needed to score many points to win. They had won consecutive games by scoring under 20 points, including beating the Seahawks in that fashion. And that's just not... 
I, I don't think that that's a consistent method of winning. That's going to be something that you can rely on every Sunday. And for all the Cardinal faults that they have offensively right now, they do have special players in Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, and that was enough. But goodness, I just the, the smothering defensive effort. I thought Buda Baker played really well. Drake Kirkpatrick has been maybe the, the steadiest corner on the Cardinal roster this year. He played incredibly aggressive, two passes defended. You know, I thought Isaiah Simmons flashed at times. Zach Allen looked good. I mean, it's nice to see some of these young staples for the Cardinal defense shine in a position where they're going to have an opportunity to build upon this performance in the coming two weeks against equally, let's say, compromised offenses. But I, let's sticking with Sunday's game, Blake, I was just so impressed with that effort. And Vance Joseph, man, I, to me, he is he has earned a third year regardless of what happens the Cardinals defense which has been just decimated by injuries you lose maybe your best overall player in Chandler Jones you don't have Jalen Thompson for the majority of the season Jordan Phillips has been a non-factor he got hurt again Devon Kennard was a big free agent signing he's done nothing and yet here they are they're 13th overall defensively they're 13th in points per game and that's with a defensive personnel Blake that I think many people would assume is average to below average I I just can't say enough about the job that Vance Joseph has done, and I hope they build upon it in the coming weeks. The biggest thing, at least, that we've seen overall is uh, the Cardinals' defense has improved enough this year where they're no longer getting um, completely blown out by teams, and the offense, like we talked about, has also improved likewise. For me, this story of this game was not even as much about the defense, I think, as much as it was seeing the offense in a lot of ways return to form, despite kind of a return to 2019's red zone struggles. The defense played very well in lockdown, but some of that in the aspect when you look at how it was, and you know, I talked about this on the podcast, I said I would prefer to play Daniel Jones because even though you're going to have the deep passing game as a threat, Jones has been... Uh, throws a great deep ball overall. He's got weapons to throw to in Sterling Shepard, Golding, Tate. Evan Ingram is a mismatch uh, for anyone for the most part. The fact at least is that his pocket presence has never truly developed. And in that sense, he's essentially, it's like, you know, when you talk about quarterbacks who are game managers, you think about, okay, you look at maybe an Alex Smith, a guy who doesn't throw interceptions, can make plays when need to. But overall, what they do is they take care of the football. And that was the thing that was coming into this game was the Cardinals are going to play a guy who on average gives up one to two turnovers per game. It's just, that's who Daniel Jones is. He does not have good pocket presence. He holds on to the ball too long, and he doesn't hold on to the ball well. You can pretty much jar the ball loose from him. So the Cardinals, when the game opened, for the most part, were able to get off to a hot start with uh, an immediate fumble caused and then returned. I believe it was also caused by Marcus Golden. He picks up the ball, uh, brings it back to the New York Nine. Now, there was kind of the first interesting development of the game where the Cardinals end up at the nine-yard line. No, you have a handoff to Kenyon Drake. You have a short pass to Christian Kirk, and you talked about it on the podcast, John. It was up to nose for that one, whether it was on Kirk for not getting in. Was it a great play by the defender? Was it a fact that, hey, Cliff didn't call a pass play for the end zone? It was a bit short. Whatever the case was, he doesn't get in, gets stopped short. On third and one, you see Kenyon Drake get the ball handed off. There's no gain. Looked like there was a possibility for Kyler to pull the ball down, roll to his right, 
um, hit Max Williams, who was kind of releasing. They tried that exact same play again for the most part on fourth and one. Now, what was interesting was they lined Kyler Murray up under center, uh, kind of have a few fakes. He rolls out, and whether it was good coverage, whether it was timing, whether the Giants played it well, uh, Keyshawn Johnson is open going across the end zone, but Kyler's got a guy right in front of him. They end up uh, turning the ball over on downs. Now, that being said, they essentially hold on the next play. Uh, Giants took over at the one. Cardinals get great field position and have to settle for a field goal again. Giants and punt. Cardinals punt. Cardinals go back down on an 11-play drive, and they end up going at the New York 20. So you're talking about, like, three of the first five possessions the Cardinals offense had. You know, they're either forcing a three and out, and they start in Giants territory. They end up at least stuck at the New York 19-yard line um, with a uh, penalty, at least, with a false start. Gets them a bit off schedule. Um, You end up having a tackle for loss of Kenyon Drake. And you talk about Mike Nugent then coming up punching a 37-yard field goal. At that point, you're talking about, all right, is this is this going to be a spot where, you know, New York gets one big busted play deep, they're up, and this is a whole brand new game. You look at least at the special team stepping up in a huge way. Uh, Kylie Fitz at least forces a fumble. Now, whether it was a legal kick or not, or whether it was being forced, whatever happens, you know, consider it a lucky break. Trent Sherfield recovers. Um, the Cardinals overall, as far as what we talked about, the special teams and the defense stepped up in a way, and as we've said in the past, that's kind of been what's activated the offense. And you look at that after that play play of the game, as far as I'm concerned, Cardinals are lo- looking like they're about to kick a field goal, go up 9-0, third and goal. All-out blitz comes from the Giants. Kyler Murray drops back, floats one up at the act for a wide-open Dan Arnold. He leaps up, hauls it in, suddenly you go up 13-0, and... It really felt like that at that point, John, even though the Cardinals didn't necessarily, you know, blow them away for the most part, it felt like that that was kind of the play of the game in terms of it really put the ball into Arizona's hands and didn't give the Giants really a chance to be able to get back into the game, uh, especially after Arizona came out of the half, went down, scored a touchdown. What were your thoughts at least about what was kind of the turning point for Arizona in that game as far as kind of righting a couple of the wrongs that we've seen over the past few weeks. I think it was when Kyler Murray got knocked down with a would-be hamstring injury. I can't remember. Lower body, shin maybe. And there was we collectively held our breath to see if he was going to leave the game or not. And he stuck it out. And I believe they can at least converted three that drive. They might have converted a touchdown uh, to Dan Arnold on that possession. I thought the Cardinals were in really good shape. But Kyler Murray left that game, and you're, you know, riding with, with Strebler against a Giants team that has already avoided multiple red zone touchdown opportunities defensively. They would have been in a lot of trouble. But, you know, give credit to the offense. You know, I, I gushed about the defense, but I will say that they got more comfortable as the game went on. And let's not dismiss the job the Giants have done defensively. I think it's it's easy to look at their logo right now and think, you know, if you're not prisoner of the moment with this team, I mean, the Giants have been a relative joke in the NFL for the better part of half a decade. And so you're like, why aren't they scoring more points? Well, I mean, they've got some, some really gritty players, especially in their back seven. I mean, I was really impressed with how Jabril Peppers played. Logan Ryan, we know, is very good. James Bradbury's having an all-pro season at corner. And Blake Martinez ended up being suited up, and he played. So, I mean, the Giants really knew that they'd have to get after Kyler Murray defensively if they wanted to have a chance to win this game. So, 
you know, it, being able to put up 26 points and you think about it on the surface, Blake, they were probably about half a yard short of putting up 33 points. Maybe we're being a little bit too critical, at least I am, of this offensive output. And they rush for almost 160 yards. Now, I know that was sub four yards per carry, but a lot of that was Kyler Murray had Neil Dons at the end of the game, and then it just looked like they had conceded a bunch of Kenyon Drake runs late in the fourth quarter to run a bunch of clock. Now, I didn't love a, a lot of those play calls in the sense that I don't want slow developing counter plays when I'm trying to run the clock out. I wish they could just do quick hitters and you know, something that we should touch on briefly, Blake, is the fact that Kyler Murray was under center for part of this game, which has not happened since, goodness, the 2019 preseason. <laughs> or at least early this year. <laughs> but I, I think I think the offense, yeah, right, it's been a while, which I, I, I like. I like that being able to, to differentiate from, from previous weeks and not put yourself, you know, shoehorn yourself into a corner with just – very minimal creativity recently offensively. So that that was nice, and hopefully we see them build off of that. I also think, you know, I've seen the um, graphs from this past week. Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins' route chart was much more diverse, and you could see that getting himself open. And if you can get open against this giant secondary, that's saying something. Now, we still have an issue, Blake. And again, uh, the second consecutive segment here, I'm going to give you credit. The Cardinals don't have a number two receiver. They're not going to have a number two receiver to end the year. They could still very much make the playoffs and have a winning record, but we know going in the offseason, they need to find a number two wide receiver to go with DeAndre Hopkins. Their number two receiver in this game was Dan Arnold, who has been one of their more reliable pass catchers in, in recent weeks, but he had 27 yards. Chase Edmonds had 21 yards. Max Williams had 17. The next closest was the aforementioned Blake Christian Kirk who has completely disappeared, Andy Isabella, which I don't know if we want to transition to this now, but we might as well bring it up, was a healthy scratch for the first time in his NFL career and was essentially beaten out by Keyshawn Johnson, I think because of his performance last week, that being Johnson, maybe he's looked better in in camp, or excuse me, practice, but Hassan, Hassan Reddick, Andy Isabella right now is a healthy scratch on the team that is desperate for wide receiver help after just taking him in the second round a year ago. It's not great, Blake, but um, you know I'm going to focus on the positives here, and, and I'll let you touch on Isabella here in a second, but I, I'm impressed with what I've seen from Dan Arnold. I think that he's got a chance to be somebody who catches you know, 30 to 40 passes in this offense, maybe has 500 yards in a future season. He looks explosive. He's open. He can get downfield. He came with within about a half a foot from having that big 20-plus uh, yard reception on third and long. So his physicality and his ability to get open in the passing game has been very welcomed, and he's exceeded my expectations after a, a very highly hyped season. It's very much coming to fruition, and he's a f- fantastic red zone target. So between he and Hopkins, you've got two really nice building blocks, needless to say, at receiver. Like they just they need to find more help at that position, but right now this is who they are through the end of the year. Their vertical passing game is inept. It, they they can't stretch the ball in the middle of the field down the field. It's few and far between. That's why we've seen them so often to not try these horizontal screen plays. I, I just think that you know they watch the tape. You know on Monday or Sunday night, Kingsbury and Kime watch the tape and just say we can't we can't get open. We can't separate. 
and either Isabella's running the wrong routes or they just saw something on film with him in combination with his lack of impact on the field and then just said we're better off playing a guy who made some contributions last year in Keyshawn Johnson who I have always been high on I thought he was going to be the number three receiver coming into this year um, and elevating himself into having a, a real place in this offense I've been surprised he's been inactive consistently but it's just it's a group that you look at okay what positions in the offseason need an overhaul I think corner falls into that category I still think defensive line and outside of DeAndre Hopkins man I don't know if there's anybody in that receiving group and it's disappointing because I love Christian Kirk that that couldn't be upgraded from let's focus on the offense here and then we can get to talking about the defensive performance that I think has been the biggest standout for a lot of fans because like you said the vertical passing game for the Cardinals that was so strong has just seemingly vanished I think some of that has been teams have been able to adjust to Kyler Murray and it's been kind of on Cliff Kingsbury to be able to adapt what I think that I really appreciate enjoyed and that was kind of what we'd talked about a bit um and some of the direct messages with walter who is our staff writer for revenge of the birds was how a lot of what kingsbury was trying to do was put kyler in a place where he was comfortable and a lot of that was hey we're going to kind of run some of this 10 personnel that he's run throughout some of college it works some against the rams but this week it seemed like they kind of went back to the drawing board and found ways where they weren't having to push the ball deep you look at kyler's passing charts he only had I think it was three passing attempts of 20 yards or more. Most of what he did was going to be kind of a lot near the line of scrimmage, a lot that was ultimately, you know, within 10 yards. And you were able to find different types of mismatches and protect him well, where uh, even though the Giants played good coverage down the field, even though, like we said, Cardinals have not had a really good job of being able to uh, separate deep they were able to use different passing plays and concepts that got Kyler in a position where he was comfortable you talk about some of what we talked about with the Rams part of with Jared Goff bootlegs we talked about how when you said him being under center uh, it also looked like Kyler was a lot more confident in his scrambling ability I looked like that he was kind of maybe moved on some of that AC joint now maybe we're gonna see a little bit more of the you know inability to go deep at least is gonna be part of this offense for the rest of the season but it was at least an adjustment where it allowed the Cardinals to be able to be effective with the football and you got to see a lot of different plays where you know they had multiple options Max Williams got involved with some plays almost had a touchdown on a thing and you mentioned Dan Arnold who had probably the longest passing play of the day that was overturned as uh, he wasn't able to control the football down the field I think it just goes without saying that if you look at where the Cardinals have been I think the context of how we feel the Cardinals receivers are and should be. A lot of it, I think, is due to the names. If you go back to the 2018 season, you look at kind of either grades or look at stats, Cardinals had the second worst receiving group in the NFL. And when you think about that, you're just kind of like second worst. It doesn't feel like that. And then you remember that 2018 season, how terrible the offense was for that, how just you know it was abysmal. Part of it was that the rushing game was what was most abysmal, but you look at, you know, we went from Greg Little coming out of you know two years of retirement, Bryce Butler signing a two-year deal, with the likes of Larry Fitzgerald and how Christian Kirk turned out to be the number one receiver that year. And as we talked about, John, he's kind of disappeared over the past few weeks, even though, and this is something I was surprised to look up from, uh, they even, I think, mentioned it on the local Burns and Gambo show, Kirk actually had more snaps in this game than DeAndre Hopkins did. And that's kind of a surprise because it's like, okay, is 
Kirk in a spot where he's just not able to get separation deep, and so he's almost being used as a kind of distraction guy or a kind of a gadget player in the red zone, and that's kind of how I felt like, you know, his touchdown numbers were solid, but there'd be times where he'd have, oh, two touchdowns on, you know, three catches for 20 yards just kind of felt like it was trying to make use of a lot of the fact that the Cardinals wide receiver group is not good outside of DeAndre Hopkins. You look at where they were at their worst in the NFL in 2020, go back to 2019. That was still a bottom five receiving room. You look at it this year and their top 18. Now here's the thing. If you look at the receivers that they had, this can kind of just, you know, you know, I don't think BFF is the be all end all, but when you look at how it stacks up, if you take DeAndre Hopkins off of the team, you look at and there's about four players who have receiving grades higher than the highest wide receiver grade, which is Christian Kirk, and somewhere down in the 60s. The Cardinals ultimately have the second best receiver on the team is, like we've talked about in the past, is Chase Edmonds. And that's something I think that you're seeing that when the Cardinals are playing tougher defenses and they're not able to necessarily scheme guys open, and teams double up DeAndre Hopkins. That's why when teams took away Kyler Murray's leg, suddenly he's got nowhere to go with the football. And uh, I think that, that that has been one of the biggest things that we've seen overall is how the Cardinals, in a lot of ways, have been able to adjust defensively to having likes of Peterson, Kirkpatrick, uh, and other guys in coverage. They've been able to scheme and adjust, be able to find ways to get pressure, even with guys being hurt. And they have not been able to do the same on the offensive side. A lot of that, I think, John, is because even with how the team's defense has you know, been a bit inconsistent over times, it's a solid enough unit with these veteran types of players that you can still be able to make a solid defense. You can still have good coverage. You can still kind of manufacture some pressure. You can still even see dominant defensive performances like we saw from the likes of Hassan Reddick today and Buda Bacon making plays. What we're not seeing is the Cardinals being able to ultimately find the consistency on offense deep to take advantage of Kyler Murray's passing arm. You're having to kind of force feed the ball to DeAndre Hopkins and hope that some of your other receivers can do well. And I think that that's really at the end of the day, kind of what they're missing. Like you said, is you take a look at what they had at Oklahoma where Kyler was most successful. He had a solid rushing attack with good offensive line play, but it really came down to in the passing attack, hitting a big number one receiver like C.D. Lamb and having a tight end who could, you know, be able to separate and get some tight touchdowns and Grant Calcaterra. With the Cardinals, we thought we're going to have with the likes of a Hollywood Brown in Andy Isabella or even seeing Christian Kirk this season has not manifested in that aspect, John. And that's one of the things that I think is kind of a limiter because Kyler's 23. He, he's not going to be able to just go ahead and make an offense work with, you know, Devontae Adams, Robert Tanyan, and Mar- Marquise Valdez-Scantling, uh, like Aaron Rodgers has been able to <laughs> with all the, dec- the decade plus that Rodgers has had in the league. It's become an issue, and I think that's something that the Cardinals are going to have to look at, and it's going to be interesting to see how the team will go if they do play a team like the Rams again with Jalen Ramsey on the other side because that game was not favorable for Arizona at all without Hopkins really getting involved. Yeah, everybody asks what the Cardinals need to focus on specifically this offseason. And and the defensive uh, issues, they stand out, right? We've already talked about corner. We've talked about defensive line. But offensively, you know, receiver is an issue. I just think they 
they just need players that can make plays. And I know that sounds cliche, but they need touchdown makers. They need explosiveness. They need guys who are physical after the catch. That can be a running back. That could be a tight end. That could be a wide receiver. I just think that going into the offseason with an open mind, like where can we upgrade so that when Kyler gives the ball to somebody else on the offense, I don't care what position it is, that person has a chance to make a big play or to break off a touchdown run. Because even with Hopkins, I mean, his game is so reliant on you know finding space and getting open but i mean traditionally he's not somebody that's a burner and he he's not a big aj brown physical breaking tackles i'm not dismissing what he does by any stretch but they don't have that kind of player they don't have somebody that they can take one of these horizontal passes and say go manufacture eight to ten yards for us they're trying to do that with larry and it's it's laughably bad right now they don't have kirk is a little bit too stiff at this point the end around which he should have taken for a full head of steam in the first possession of the game for the cardinals should have been a touchdown blake as you mentioned and he's trying to dance and he ends up being a yard short they they need a presence offensively that other teams fear outside of hopkins and again if you if you find a running back in the draft that you can check it down and they can manufacture yards and they hit the hole hard, that can take off some pressure. If you find a dominating receiving tight end like a Pitts from Florida, I'm just using him as an example, and you can you can split him out wide and it gives you some versatility with Dan Arnold. I just they need guys who that we can identify and not just say we need an X receiver or we need this kind of player. They just need guys in the offseason that, that Kyler Murray can feed and good things will happen. So we've talked about it so often, Blake, on these podcasts that the margin for error for this offense when Kyler's not mobile and running around and making plays with his feet and erasing deficits is very small. Outside of a couple long passes to Christian Kirk this year and whatever you get from Hopkins, it's four yards, three yards, five yards, and they're having to put together these long methodical drives. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but then you watch the explosive offenses in the NFL. I don't want to use the Chiefs as an example because they're an all-time great offense, but even the aforementioned Aaron Rodgers with Devontae Adams, um, you know, I would put Seattle in that category. They've got a, a lot of big play players. Um, you know, Chris Carson's a terrific home run hitting running back. Tyler Lockett, of course, DK Metcalf. Um, you know, who else in the NFC when the when Breeze and the Saints are are you know hitting on all cylinders with Kamara and Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas? The Cardinals need to find I, the best way for me to put it is they need to find another cornerstone playmaker for this office be, offense because when people look at this team an outsider's perspective of this team, and they say, who are the elite players offensively for the Cardinals? Well, they would say Kyler, and they would say DeAndre Hopkins. They need a third and a fourth option to go with those two individuals. I think a lot of us thought maybe it was Kenyon Drake after the second half of the season he we saw. This year, honestly, he's a little closer to what he's been as a career player, which is a little bit more of a plotting running back and just doesn't have that same explosiveness. The big plays haven't been there. Certainly struggled in short yardage. And then we've talked about it. Christian Kirk going MIA for four to six weeks at a time is not something that you can count on as a number two receiver next year. It's great as a third receiver traditionally, and in a contract year next year, his fourth year of his rookie deal, you might get the best version of him, and that's awesome. 
but they need to bring in a presence either at wide receiver or whatever in the offseason that can really separate and, and scare opposing defenses because we've seen it time and time again. A lot of these defenses have multiple high-end corners and cover linebackers and safeties, and the, and the Cardinals can't be so reliant on Hopkins and Kyler. They can't fix it now. It is what it is toward the end of the year, and who knows? We could see an explosive game from Kirk or Fitz or whomever as the season ends, but I think it shouldn't it shouldn't erase the notion that this team right now is just they're desperate for more playmakers and i thought after last year and just you know the the flux of receivers coming in and out they had solidified it enough blake you were right they could have used a cd lamb or jerry judy or a high drafted receiver to come in a top 50 receiver um 50 picks i mean to come in and give this offense another dimension and they haven't unlocked it yet doesn't mean that they still can't kyler's still young enough but it, just right now, it's not good enough to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, and that's the goal, ultimately, I think, is to win a Super Bowl and also to ensure you're surrounding your quarterback with enough talent with the fact that, you know, yesterday, one of the things that stood out to me was the offensive line played better than it had in weeks past. There were times where Kyler was able to stand back in the pocket, go through his progressions, and then would just kind of take the check down, and you'd be able to see Chase Edmonds, you know, on second and seven, pick up six yards, putting the team in a much better position to succeed on third and short. There are other times where the offense would get behind and you'd see this third and 14, and uh, that would be one of the things I think that was we can talk about and well, you know, specific prospects and other stuff we can talk about, I think, in the future. A lot of this, I think, at least ultimately is going to function about the defense and how the defense will go. And that's kind of where we'll be able to wrap up here talking about the. Uh, the play of Hassan Reddick, who is, I think, John, made himself an invaluable part of the Cardinals. Wow. As well as looking at their future plans, because right now when you're talking about him, he's uh, he's kind of in a mode where he's found the perfect role in this type of defense, where no longer is he having to read and react similarly to how the inside linebacker play was in coverage. What he gets to do now is either rush the passer, or if he's having to play on a tight end, he can just play man coverage in this defense be able to then stay with them because of that athleticism. And what we've kind of seen, I think, at least, is that he was out of position for a number of years. Now he has the all-time Cardinals single-game sack record with five sacks in one game. John, I think he's kind of turned from this player who was kind of like a butt monkey for a lot of Cardinals fans, you know, a bust of a pick, all of these things. He's kind of showed that it was more of a bust of his usage, and I think it's been awesome to see him develop and yep. progress to a point where I think that he's more valuable to bring back this year than maybe any other Cardinals veteran on the team right now. Wouldn't you say? that it's It's been a huge turnaround. Wow. Yeah, well, well, I already wrote an article this year apologizing to Hassan, so I, I can do it again on this on this platform because I called him a bust, and I just thought that that was it wasn't a reach considering in the 2017 draft he was thought of as a top 10 prospect, but I just I think I I just merged my frustrations with the fact that the Cardinals didn't go up for Watson or Mahomes and I took it out on Hassan and then when he didn't produce it's just like you get fixated on that right I'm sure I've done the same thing with Isabella and and DK Metcalf among others but I just think with with Hassan Reddick as a rookie to be going back and forth back and forth from inside to outside inside to outside with James Betcher forcing him to play inside when he had never played inside before and I guess they had talked up his athleticism enough at Temple that they thought they could make that transition 
And the Cardinals at the time, if you remember, when they made that that selection, they had Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden playing at a high level. And so they were probably thinking to themselves, we don't need three great pass rushers. We've got two starters. Let's force him inside with Dayon and let's let him be an impact Keekly-esque linebacker. When in reality, if they just would have stuck with him at outside edge rusher, and either you let Marcus Golden go or whatever, you would have been able to see this sooner. But the fact that the Cardinals then had a house cleaning with retirements and James Betcher leaving for the Giants and then Steve Wilkes being brought in. You know, Wilkes, of course, runs a 4-3. Reddick was again out of place. You're trying him at will. You're not letting him rush all that often. And last year, he gets moved, I think, about halfway through the season and is still behind Chandler Jones um, and starts to come along last year late. And was a complete afterthought going into the season. They signed Devon Kennard in March to be the opposite edge rusher to Chandler Jones. And then they had conversations with Marcus Golden that eventually led to him being traded. But they had interest long before. And Reddick was just this guy. And I thought, just get rid of him. Trade him. Cut him. Try to get rid of his cap number. And what a ridiculous statement that I made multiple times. Because all he needed was an opportunity. And I put this in the article uh, about a month ago or whatever that was, that imagine if Hassan Reddick had been drafted by a competent organization Oof. defensively, yeah. like a Ravens or a Saints or somebody like that, and it just they would have been like, Reddick, you were, Hassan, you were fantastic at Temple, you dominated the senior bowl as an edge rusher, that's your position, we're just going to leave you there. Not only would he have had his fifth-year option picked up, he likely would have parlayed that into more money. And so you could make an argument he's cost himself some money, but so have the Cardinals. So that's why when people are like, should they franchise him? I I agree with you, Blake. I think that what we've seen could be the best of what he's able to do because he did go MIA kind of for the last four or five weeks, didn't have a sack. But as somebody reminded me, he did have some pressures, and I think that the Cardinals owe him a chance to play under another one-year tag at the highest price point to see if he can duplicate this. And if he can... I mean, that would that would mark a ideal, not changing of the guard because you want Chandler Jones around, but to being able to take somebody in the first round that you whiffed on, that you initially thought, you don't pick up his fifth-year option, to be proven wrong about that decision and to be able to still re- rectify it, even if it costs you a little bit of money in the short term, I, I'm with you, Blake. I think that's the right decision for the Cardinals. A lot of it goes back to the drafting, at least overall, where he was a guy you look at and compare his collegiate stats at defensive end to Marcus Golden's. And, you know, he had 47 tackles for loss and 17 sacks. There was a reason why when he came out. Uh, He was, of course, an undersized defensive end. I think that's been one of the biggest stories of this season overall has been how the Cardinals, despite losing a all-pro player like Chandler Jones, who had been struggling some, have been able to um, bounce back and at least be competent defensively, if not, you know, an elite defense in that regard. I think that and then being able to see the adjustments Cliff Kingsbury has been able to make. And granted, you're also playing a team that's a Giants team that's just been miserable this season, that has still had struggles. Uh, The narrative coming in, a lot of people were picking the Giants to stay hot. Cardinals, I think you and I both picked them for a bounce back. And now that kind of just turns to where we'll have the rest of the week. We'll have another episode up. Uh, We'll wrap up today's at least a little on the shorter side. Um, But we're going to have some more content. We'll be previewing the upcoming game. It's going to be a Oklahoma showdown with Jalen Hurts now leading the Philadelphia Eagles, another NFC East battle. Uh, We'll be here to be able to preview all of that and talk a bit more about some of the adjustments that we saw from Cliff Kingsbury 
Um, and even from the defensive aspect, how that could parlay into an Eagles team that's coming off from beating the number one seed Saints. Uh, you'll be able to find our podcast at revengeofthebirds.com. My Twitter handle, if you want to talk to me or go over stuff, is at BlakeMurphy7. Uh, John, where can our listeners find you and your content as well? Yeah, of course, here on the ROTB podcast every week with my buddy Blake, and then on Twitter at Johnny Venerable. And then, of course, in the written form on revengeofthebirds.com. I also host a live Periscope postgame show on Twitter. You can access that. Appreciate the positive feedback. And Blake, back in the win column. It feels good. Absolutely. Cardinals see the Vikings lose. They're now 6-7. and seven. Cardinals are at 7-6. and six. You've got three games left to play. Can the Cardinals finish with a winning record? We'll be able to diagnose what the Eagles game looks like later this week. In the meantime, thanks again for tuning in to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, take care, Cardinals fans. We'll catch you later this week.